Let's go ahead and let's open our Bibles uh, to Galatians in the fifth chapter, uh, Galatians chapter five. And what we want to do is uh, we're going to be looking again at verses 16 uh, through the end of the chapter, through verse 26, just for the sake of context, as we continue looking at the fruit of the spirit. And this morning, we want to examine gentleness. This is, of course, the penultimate message. Next week, we'll finish up with self-control. And so uh, Galatians chapter 5, and let's begin reading in verse 16. Let's give attention to the reading of God's word. Galatians 5, verse 16. Hear now the word of God. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Let's bow together in a brief word of prayer. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful that we come unto you as children, children who are hungry and thirsty. But unlike sinful fathers, O Lord, you do not give unto us a stone or a serpent uh, or bitter water when we ask for these things, but rather you give unto us Christ, uh, the manna from heaven. You give unto us the outpouring of the Spirit that we would thirst no more, that we would hunger no more, that we would be satisfied as we drink and as we eat. We pray, O Lord, that you would uh, fulfill your promises to this end, that you would feed us, that you would strengthen us, that you would give us greater faith, that you would glorify yourself in our midst. We pray and ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. We live in an age that does not necessarily uh, value or practice or praise gentleness. I think that if we were to describe much of what we see in the world, whether it's in the news media or perhaps in our local communities, is strike before you are stricken, respond in kind, don't turn the other streak, Uh, I'm sorry, don't turn the other cheek. If you strike back, it's either revenge or perhaps at least in our minds sometimes, it's justice, it's fairness. If they did this to me, then I, of course, should be allowed to do the same unto them. Do unto others before they do unto you. And it's in this particular context that we often lack gentleness. If somebody says or does something, we immediately respond and maybe we even up the ante. Uh, If somebody yells at us, we yell back. 
It was a fashion designer, French fashion designer, Coco Chanel, that says, gentleness doesn't get work done unless you happen to be a hen laying eggs. And perhaps that's something of what we think. It's like, no, gentleness is no good. We have to respond with strength. We have to respond in kind. In other portions of the culture, especially with masculinity currently under assault, it could be that we think that, well, real men don't and shouldn't show gentleness because it might be a sign of weakness. Yet in contrast to all of these things that we see and observe in the culture and in the world around us, the Bible presents us with an entirely different picture. Paul very clearly and simply includes gentleness as one of the fruits of the Spirit. So regardless of what we may think about gentleness, if the Spirit of Christ indwells us, then this means that gentleness is supposed to be one of the fruits of the Spirit that we manifest in our daily dealings with one another. But what precisely is gentleness? And in what ways can we and should we show gentleness to those who are around us? Well, to this end, what we want to do first is we want to define what gentleness is. Secondly, we want to make sure that we understand the source of gentleness. And then finally, we want to take a look at gentleness in action. What, is, what does it look like to be gentle? How can we respond in gentleness? How can we manifest this fruit of the Spirit? So let's first begin, as I said, with defining gentleness. And I think the place that we can begin uh, is certainly Jesus. We know, of course, that there were times when Jesus upbraided the Pharisees, when he responded uh, to the crowds with anger. And of course, when Jesus cleansed the temple in anger and he turned over tables, this is one of the scenarios that we certainly remember. Luke chapter 19, verse 46, Jesus goes into the temple and he starts turning over tables. He forms a whip and he starts whipping the people to get out. And he cried out, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Jesus was angry. He wasn't gentle in this situation or in this circumstance. And I think it's often the case that if we get angry, if we don't respond to gentleness, we say, well, Jesus got angry. If he got angry, then certainly doesn't that give me license to get angry as well. Now, I'm not saying that we should never respond in righteous indignation or in righteous anger. There is a place for righteous anger. However, I think one of the reasons why we gravitate towards immediate anger and an immediate lack of gentleness is because I think we often want an immediate solution to the problem that we find. We want an immediate verdict of vindication. We want justice. If somebody does me wrong and somebody yells at me, then I'm going to yell at them back because I want an immediate solution to this. I've been wronged. I'm certainly not going to turn the other cheek. If I can be frank, I think a lot of it often stems from the fact that we're unwilling to take up our crosses, and to follow Jesus. I think that what happens is that we look at Jesus in cleansing the temple and we fail to see that 
particular response of righteous anger within the broader context of Jesus's overall ministry. First of all, we have to remember Christ's judgment was perfect. His judgment was perfect. There was never a gray area for him. How many times will we have a situation where somebody does something against us that we're not entirely sure how we should respond? Should I respond in anger? I feel the anger welling up within me. Should I seek to exercise uh, gentleness or some greater self-control? There were no gray areas for Jesus. He never, did, he, never, he never had qualms over, should I respond in anger? When do I respond in gentleness? His judgment was perfect. So this is one of the first things that we should remember, given the fact, even as redeemed sinners, even as those who have been regenerated by the Spirit of Christ, we should always, I think, hesitate in responding in anger because we cannot be absolutely sure that our judgment is untainted by sin. I think in this vein, we can say that Christ arguably gave greater emotional bandwidth to gentleness than he did to anger. We can certainly see instances in Christ's ministry where he responded with anger or with rebuke or correction. I think some of the most frightening words in all of Christ's ministry to me is when I read of Jesus's rebuke of Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. I think I would tremble in utter fear that knowing that Jesus, the son of God, God in the flesh would say something like that. That was not a moment necessarily for a gentle and patient response. Jesus had to respond clearly and directly and immediately. And yet, on the heels of the Pharisees conspiring to kill Jesus in the 12th chapter of Matthew's gospel, Matthew quotes a passage from Isaiah 42, verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. If there was ever a circumstance where you'd think, okay, it's time for me to gird up my belt. It's time for me to respond in anger and in righteous indignation. How dare you contemplate killing the son of God? It would be then. And yet, Matthew quoting the prophet Isaiah describes Jesus, a true man's man if there ever was one, as saying that a bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. You know, think of it. How often have we put out candles by simply snuffing it out with our fingertips ever so gently and having the wick break off in our fingertips because it's so brittle? The prophet describes Christ's gentleness the, the, the perfect and definitive man as being so gentle as he would not want to snuff out the wick because it would break the, the, the wick off because of its frailty. So I think right there we can see 
Christ's gentleness. And it's Christ who helps us to see what gentleness is. So that if we want to define gentleness, I think we could say that gentleness is any act of kindness, especially where the situation might easily invite a harsh or forceful response. Gentleness is any situation or any response to a situation uh, that might easily call for a forceful response, but instead acting with kindness and with patience. And if Christ defines what it means to be truly human, then this means that not only simply as created human beings, but especially as redeemed human beings, it's Jesus who helps us to understand what it means to be gentle. Think, for example, of how many times the disciples responded with a dullness of mind. How often they were slow to understand what he was saying. Beware of the, of the leaven of the Pharisees. Is he talking about food? Is he hungry? You know, Jesus may have rolled his eyes. <laughs> I'm not saying that he didn't do that. You know, think of, you know, uh, the sons of thunder. Jesus, they don't believe. Shall we call fire down from heaven? <laughs> you got to think. Jesus is thinking. Now, at what point in, our, in, in my ministry with you have I called fire down from heaven? Moreover, is there a mouse in your pocket that you would say, shall we call fire down from heaven? I think that's a little bit above your pay grade. And yet, what does Jesus say? He responds gently. He may respond and correct them, but he does so gently. And so, given that we live in a fallen world where humans carry about the marred image of God, I think it's quite easy to see why people would lack gentleness, how unlike Christ they are. But conversely, we as redeemed sinners, as those who are being recreated in the image of Christ, this should immediately show us, secondly, not only what gentleness is, but the source of gentleness. Remember, the fruit of the Spirit is not simply just an effort to try to be more like Jesus. Rather, if we remember that gentleness is one of the fruits of the Spirit, then this means that Christ has poured out the Spirit upon the church and especially upon those whom he calls, whom he justifies, whom he sanctifies and ultimately glorifies. And so remember, Christ, through the Spirit, by faith, by grace in Christ that comes to us in Christ, Christ is the source of our gentleness. I think all of us can observe in the world around us where human beings are capable of expressions of gentleness. But as I've said in weeks before, this is where we have to remember that it's the person, it's the human being that is that source of gentleness. In this case, Paul is saying these two acts look very similar, but in the one, it comes from the sinful human being. In the other, it comes from the Spirit of Christ. It comes from the Spirit of Christ. And so this is where we have to realize that it's first and foremost that we receive the imputed righteousness of Christ, 
God justifies us, and then he indwells us with his spirit that enables us to respond with gentleness in situations or in circumstances where others, or maybe even ourselves, might be inclined to respond in anger, in harshness, in impatience, or maybe, God forbid, even with cruelty. And I think where Jesus talks about the fruit of the Spirit, and in particular, gentleness by other terms, and where he describes it in terms of both its source, in terms of himself, as well as how it should become manifest in our lives, is in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 39 and 40, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. I think that this, if any other passage in the Bible, has often been used to say, look, do you see how weak Christians are? Because the world would say, respond in kind. And in fact, Jesus says as much, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, at first glance, that, 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 that teaching, especially when I didn't understand it, always sounded a bit harsh for me, to me. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So if I accidentally poke somebody's eye out, does that mean I've got to lose my eye? If I accidentally knock somebody's tooth out, does that mean, okay, you're losing a tooth? That's not what it means. What it means is that the punishment should be proportional to the crime. If you've taken somebody's eye out, either in an act of violence or by accident, then the punishment should be proportionate, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It shouldn't exceed the nature of your misdeed. So it's saying fairness. It's saying equity. It's saying equal measures. And so Jesus is saying, you've heard, fair is fair. And yet Jesus doesn't call us to fairness. Because within this world of thought, as he weaves it, and he says, if somebody strikes you on the cheek, turn the other to him also. We might have expected him to say, if someone strikes you in the cheek, you strike him back on the cheek. But Jesus is not interested in fairness. He's interested in mercy. He's interested in gentleness. He says, you turn the other and give the other to him also. This is not an act of weakness, but I would say it's the exact opposite. It calls for great strength, courage, mercy, because what Jesus is saying is he's saying, as you have struck me on the cheek, I did not strike you back. I turned the other cheek And I bore the punishment that was due to you. Turning the other cheek isn't about weakness. It's about saying, I will bear the penalty 
that is due to you. You have struck me, which means the penalty should be I should strike you back, but instead I will turn the other cheek and I will bear the penalty. That is the pinnacle of gentleness in action. It's saying that as we have been forgiven in the gospel of Christ, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, so too we extend that same mercy to others. As I have been forgiven of much, so I forgive you of much. You have struck me. I will bear the penalty. I will turn the other cheek. And so what gentleness is supremely about It's a manifestation of the grace of the gospel that we have received. Rather than dealing with others as they rightly deserve, as fairness would dictate, we don't dispense justice, we don't dispense fairness, we don't dispense punishment, we dispense mercy, we dispense grace, we dispense gentleness. Now at first glance we might think that's that's a tall bill to order. that's a steep price. I don't know if I'm capable of doing that. And I would say you're right. (laughs) We're not. Which is why we have to rely upon the grace of Christ in the gospel. But at the same time, what Jesus says in Matthew 11, 29 is, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your soul. You've perhaps heard the saying, we say it often around my house, let go and let God. In other words, take your hands off the wheel. You're trying to steer the car when God should be driving the car. You're trying to fly the plane when Jesus should be flying the plane. You know, one of the things that pilots talk about is pilots talk about uh, porpoising a plane. Not purposing, porpoising. What on earth is porpoising a plane? What happens is they say that a pilot will, you know, will be flying and everything seems to be going great, straight and level. And then what happens is there might be a, a, a burst of wind or a gust of wind that causes the plane to lurch. And so in the pilot's efforts to try to control the plane, he overcorrects. But so then as he's shoved up, then he overcorrects and goes down. And so then the effort to over, you know, to correct the going down, he yanks back on the stick again. And then that brings an overcorrection. And before you know it, the plane is going up and down, up and down as the pilot is going back and forth as he porpoises through the air. You want to know what the solution to porpoising an airplane is? Let go. Stop trying to correct it. And I think that that gives us a mental image, I think, of the nature of the Christian life. Lord doesn't need our help, if I can put it ever so bluntly. We need to let go and we need to rest in the grace of God. We need to rest in the power of Christ, in the indwelling power and presence of the Spirit, so that we can respond in gentleness instead of overcorrecting and giving ourselves a rather violent and bumpy ride. And so if we remember that Christ is the source of the gentleness that we seek to manifest in our life, the third and final point that we want to consider is is what does it look like in action? 
We can talk abstractly about gentleness, but what does it look like in action? And I want you to note just one verse down from the end of chapter 5, how Paul mentions gentleness. He says in chapter 6, verse 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. This is the same term that Paul uses in Galatians 5.22. I find it fascinating that he calls the Galatians to gentleness, and then just a couple of verses later, he says, restore this offending brother in a spirit of gentleness. But notice how Paul characterizes the whole event. First, he characterizes it as saying, those of you who are spiritual... What does he mean by spiritual? Now, I'm not going to tell you how I know this. I'm not going to tell you how I know this. I can't give away all of my secrets. But when Oprah says, Oprah Winfrey, when she says, remember your spirit, that's not what Paul is talking about. Spiritual people are not those kind of people that seemingly float on a cloud, that always seem to be somewhat in a different plane, you know, as if their minds are up in the clouds, as if they're always thinking deep thoughts. That's not what Paul is talking about. He doesn't have Oprah in mind. Rather, he's saying those of you who are spiritual, those of you who are indwelt by the Spirit of God, Those of you who have the Spirit of God reigning in your hearts. Those of you who have the outpoured grace of Christ through the Spirit coming out of the heavens through the Spirit and flowing out of your lives. Those of you who belong to the new heavens and to the new earth. Those of you who are spiritual, restore the offending brother in a spirit of gentleness. And in this case, he talks about transgression, and the term is a commonly used term in the Old and New Testaments for any violation of the Ten Commandments. So we're not necessarily talking about um, minor infractions. The brother here who had sinned, presumably sinned, maybe even egregiously. Notice they're not to ignore the sin. Being gentle doesn't mean turning a blind eye to what the others have done in the church in the way of sin. It doesn't mean ignoring it. You know, so often that can be the great temptation in parenting. You know, you get to the end of the day, you're tired, the child does something that they are not supposed to have done, or they're doing things that they shouldn't do, and you're just like, maybe if I just go to sleep, it'll all go away. Sometimes I think we want to do that in the church. And we think, well, that would be gentle. I won't deal with it. That's not what Paul says. He doesn't say ignore it. That's not the nature of gentleness. But rather, he's saying confront the sin, but in a spirit of gentleness. Deal with it gently. In other words, in context, Paul's reminding the Galatians that no one should think of himself above the law of God. No one should think of himself as incapable of sinning. And so this is why he's saying deal with the person gently because 
you might be on the receiving end of correction yourself. Would you want to be treated harshly? Or would you want others to say, brother or sister, this is wrong. Please stop. Moreover, he also says here, restore such a one. This is the same term used in, that Ezra uses in terms of rebuilding the wall, or Jesus and the disciples use in Matthew chapter 4 of mending the fishnets. In other words, you confront the sin, you do so gently, but it's not simply or merely for correction, but it's for restoration, for bringing the person in, for healing them. That's gentleness in action. So Paul's call to gentleness here rests on our union with Christ and the fruit of the Spirit, but it becomes manifest in the concrete day-in and day-out events in the life of the church. When sinned against, we're supposed to respond in kindness and in gentleness. We don't demand justice. We seek restoration. We don't seek vengeance. We seek to give out forgiveness. We don't begrudge forgiveness because we have been forgiven of much. Our faithful Lord has bathed us in his gentleness when he meets us in his son as a savior, not as a judge. One who has laid down his life for us so that we would not receive the fair and just punishment that we otherwise should receive. But we shouldn't believe that the, the world's lies that gentleness is weakness and therefore is something that is to be rejected. I think, as I said before, gentleness in the face of sin requires great strength and courage. Courage and strength that only comes through Christ in the Spirit. Think about all of the ways that the Scriptures commend gentleness to us. It commends gentleness to us in our speech, Proverbs 15.4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Moses' teaching in the Old Testament was described as gentleness. And listen to how it's described. Deuteronomy 32.2, may my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass. You know, since moving here to Mississippi, uh, we've learned of the proverbial gully washer. Uh, we don't get too many gully washers in California, but here somebody say, yep, looks like it's going to be a gully washer. That's not the kind of rain that Moses is talking about here. He's talking about the dew that you wake up in the morning and you find it all over the grass. That's how he describes his teaching. Gentle, like the dew. The apostles mirrored Christ's gentleness with the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 2.7, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Elders, Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 3.3, are not supposed to be drunkard, drunkards, not violent, but gentle. I think what Paul also says is that we're supposed to show gentleness to all people. Titus 3.2, speak evil of no one, avoid quarreling, be gentle, and show perfect courtesy toward all people. Given some of the people out there, that can be a tough thing to do if we do it in our own strength. The Bible even calls us to gentleness in how we respond to unbelief, 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, 
always honor Christ and uh, uh, the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense uh, to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. But the question I suspect undoubtedly arises, how should I know? How do I know when it calls for gentleness or when it calls for righteous anger? When it calls for gentle speech or the pointed and sharp rebuke? Well, I'm going to give you a definitive answer and you're not going to like it. (laughs) It calls for wisdom. Oh, man, don't tell me that. Well, this is what the word of God says. It calls us to wisdom. Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him, like, your, like, like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. There may be some circumstances where you have a very harsh, angry person in front of you. And wisdom would say, respond in gentleness. But then there may be a situation or a circumstance, maybe in the defense of a child, for example, or in the defense of the helpless or the weakness, those who are weak, when it calls for righteous and immediate indignation and anger and a harsh and pointed rebuke. How dare you? As to when we respond with one or the other, it calls for wisdom. What does that mean? It means that we have to be pickled in the grace of the gospel of Christ so that Christ flows in us so much to the extent that we know by instinct when we respond with gentleness and when we respond with anger. At the same time, let me make the situation a little bit more complicated than that, is that I do believe that it is possible to be righteously angered and to respond with a rebuke and yet to be firm, yet quiet, strong, yet restrained, gentle, yet direct. In other words, we might legitimately, in anger and yet in gentleness, combine the two and say, lay your hands off of that person now so you're angry but you've responded with restraint you've responded with gentleness even if it's pointed so i do think that there are scenarios that we can actually combine the two regardless we should not only pray that god would give us the mind of christ but also self-control, which we'll see next week, so that we honor him however it is that we respond and we give gentleness unto others as we ourselves have received God's immeasurable gentleness in Christ. To that end, our prayer should be that we as the people of God would manifest the gentleness of Christ, this fruit of the Spirit, Pray that Christ living in you would produce this fruit of gentleness so that you can share the gentleness that you have received from Christ with everyone that we meet. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Father God, we are grateful that you are so gentle with us, never dealing with us as our sins deserve. You do not come to us as a judge, 
You do not come to us as the executioner, seeking to exact the pound of flesh that we owe and even more, but rather in humility, in love, and in gentleness, you give unto us your unmerited grace and favor. When our sinfulness calls for your immediate and direct and measured judgment of fairness, you come to us in gentleness. You give us eyes to see and ears to hear that we may hear the words of life, that we may see the Lord Jesus Christ with the eyes of faith and believe. Oh Lord, how often do you not immediately come down and strike us dead for the sins that we commit? You speak to us gently and calmly through your word. Oh, Father, forgive us for our intemperate anger. Forgive us, Lord, for our unwillingness to show gentleness to others. We pray that you would enable us to do so, to be, the, of all people, the most gentle. And yet, give us the wisdom, O oh Lord, to know when it is that we should respond in anger, when we should respond forcefully with rebuke, or when we should show, Lord, gentleness, but nevertheless be direct in our speech and forceful. We pray that in all of these things, O oh Lord, the church would be an oasis of gentleness so that people would know and see palpably the love of God in our midst, the love that comes to us through Christ in your spirit. Make us a gentle people, we pray. We ask and pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.